continue our, our march through <clears throat> Colossians. We're down to, in Colossians 1, we're down to, to verse 21, but I want you to take a moment, and Drew will have to check the volume on this. I want you to watch this video in preparation for what we're going to talk about today. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions. But now, he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the very reality of the fact that even though many of us once were consumed by things like we saw those people paint on that mural of arms that were chained and were bound, maybe by jealousy, by hate, by abuse, by anger, by cheating, by bullying, by lust, by hatred, by greed, by all of those things that once had us bound, that had us shackled, that had us held back from what you had designed for our lives. Once we were hostile and alienated, but now we have been reconciled through your Son, Jesus Christ. So God, I thank you. And as that song said, God, then as a result of that freedom that we have, then God, we give glory and honor. We give praise, power, all of the things that are due unto your name. God, we give you those things. And we just pray and believe that in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church together said... Amen. We're going to talk about three main focal points today, and it is a difference in time, a difference in mind, and a difference in position. A difference in time, a difference in mind, and a difference in position. What does it mean to be alienated and to, to be hostile? The two words that we see in verse 21, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions. The idea of being alienated meant that you were considered to be uh, foreign and consequently, consequently you were separate from another citizenry or country. We're going to talk here in just a moment why that is so important, but considered foreign and consequently separate from another citizenry or country. And hostile, meaning you are an enemy. And to further expound on that, you are a person who hates another and wishes him injury. It's interesting to me that when we were separate from Christ, when we had not come through Christ to restore that relationship with God that we were described as being from another citizenry or from another country. Also, it, it's interesting to me then that we were described as an enemy of God and a person who hates another and wishes him injury. Now, a lot of people would say, well, well I, I, don't, I don't feel like that I hated God when I was 
in sin, when I was not in right relationship, when I had not been reconciled to, to God. Really? He <laughs> said, so, well, I never sat and thought I hate God. In fact, you know, I kind of liked God. Well, that's kind of like saying that you like your wife, you just cheat on her all the time. You know, I don't, I don't dislike her, and I don't, I don't hate her, and I'm not... No, our actions were such that they showed that what we express about another being wasn't really true because of that old saying that actions do what? They speak louder than words. The Bible says even that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we go, well, wait a minute, but I didn't say anything. Sure we did. Sure we did. When we, weren't, when we had not come to Christ, we got up on Sunday and said, today's my day. When, when we got up in our, you know, in our daily life, we said, I'm going to do what I want to do. When we looked at something that we knew was wrong, we said, nobody's going to find out. I'm going to do it anyway. All of these things that showed that we were separate and that we were basically not in the same family even of Christ. But... Another reason why that I found it interesting that particularly that he said that we're separate from that citizenry is because Christ followers are described as being part of a different kingdom. I want to give you some scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 and 20, it says this, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Listen to that. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but now you've become fellow citizens with the saints and part of God's household. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus replied, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It was something different. In fact, in John 18, 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 says this. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. So remember, I, I, when I'm watching that wall, when, in that video, when I see that wall, I thought about this scripture. Because as they begin to wash that wall, do you notice at first when they, they showed a side shot of it, and it just looked like sludge running off of that wall. And I just had this mental image of what was my life like when, when, you know, when Jesus started just washing the sins away. And out there, I'm not trying to give you some deep theological thing. I don't know that it wasn't just, you know, like that. But in my mind, I kind of like the concept of seeing all of that dirtiness just like that wall it's beginning to wash off and then and then they take when they take the bucket and they throw it on the on the wall i was waiting on somebody to break out a fire hose you know just spray it with a fire hose and stuff just be running off of it you know and then it's clean 
and it's cleansed. He said, some of you used to be like this. You used to have all of these different sins being practiced in your life. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Wow. But there's a powerful truth that is stated in Colossians 1, verse 21, and it's this. Once you were this way, but now you are changed. Once you were alienated and you were hostile, but now. Man, I tell you what, that is, that's that difference in time. I used to be this, but I'm not that anymore. I used to be someone separated from God. I used to be someone who was showing anger toward God. I used to be someone who was disrespecting everything that God had done in Jesus Christ. But now, there's a difference in time. When I hear people say, you know, even, even when we sing the song Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now... I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once used to be all these things. He doesn't glory in those things, and, and Paul doesn't tell us to glory in these things when he wrote this there in, in 1 Corinthians. He's not telling us that, well, you need to glory in the fact that you used to be this and dwell in all of that, but it's a mile marker. It's kind of like when you start doing any project in life, you identify where am I, so that I can see how far I've come. It's not that you want to dwell back over here where, where nothing's completed. But when you are along the path and you're moving along, you're able to look back. I've heard people, you know, we like the phrase to say, well, you don't need to dwell in the past. I agree, you don't need to dwell in the past. In fact, I'm not exactly sure how you can dwell in the past because it's the past. You're just bringing it to the now and trying to remake it again. You can't dwell in the past. You literally can't dwell in the past. It's not possible. But here's what I know from the children of Israel. God would have them, when they were traveling through different places, even individual people, when God would meet with them in a powerful way, they would build a monument. Sometimes it was just, they would take and they would stack up these stones. And it would be so that they could come back at some point in time and they would see that stack of stones and they would remember where they were and they would remember what happened. It would be a reminder to them. I've, I've preached out of the, the passage where that when the, when the water dries up and people are walking across, that God actually instructs that there are leaders from every tribe that they're supposed to stop this is when they're, they're crossing Jordan. They're supposed to stop and take out of the middle of the river. They're supposed to take up a rock. You guys remember we did this over in the, in the old building. And, and it wasn't a little rock. He said, because you're going to put it on your shoulder. It wasn't like pick up a little pebble and put it in your pocket like you can buy at the Christian bookstore. I'm not against you having a pebble in your pocket if you need a pebble in your pocket. But, but that wasn't what he was talking about. He said, you're going to get up this big rock and put it on it. And he said, then you're going to take it and in essence, you're going to put it on the mantle in your house. And he said, in years to come, when your children ask, what meaneth this stone? 
He said, you're going to remind him this is what God did for us. We once were on the other side of the river, but then God did this, and now we're over here. I once used to be an alcoholic. I once used to be a drug addict. I once used to be a prostitute. I once used to be living in sin. I once used to be just hating myself. I once used to be wallowing in, in misery and all of these things that, that many of us were in, even secretly and hidden from other people. But now... I've been changed. That alone is a cause for celebration. That alone is why when we sing songs talking about unto your name, be glory and honor and all this, it, it, we, we recognize who God is, but we also recognize what has He done for us? What has He done in changing our lives? And where could we be if it were not for what He has done? Because we once were on a path to something that we wouldn't want to see the end of but now. But now, God has changed us. Then we have a difference in mind. A change in our mind. You know, the main problem, when you, when you look at that, that verse, what he actually says there in, in Colossians 1, if you got your, if you, got your uh, you guys know me, if you got your phone or you got your tablet or you got your Bible, whatever you got, find your way there just so you can be looking at it while we're talking about it. Colossians 1, verse 21 there, where he says, You were alienated and hostile in your minds. And when I first was reading this, whenever I, I'm first reading a passage, getting prepared for a message, I, I look for stuff that stands out to me. I look for cause and effect. I look for things that are lists. I look for all kinds of stuff like that. And one of the things that I saw in this right off the bat was he said that you're alienated and hostile in a particular place. In your minds. And then because of your evil actions. So I, I drew myself this big double-sided arrow between my mind and evil actions because the two begin to affect each other. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. But you're alienated and hostile he didn't say in your spirit. He didn't say in your soul. He didn't say in your body. He said you're alienated and hostile in your minds. The minds of those who are still in sin and have not surrendered their hearts and minds to Christ, that's the problem is their minds. I want to read you what one of the commentators I read, um, N.T. Wright, I want to share with you what he said about this. It's not simply the habitual wrongdoing that it's not simply that habitual wrongdoing has turned the mind away from God. Nor is the word that is translated mind strictly the mind itself, but it's the way it works, the processes of understanding and intellect. Thought and act are both tainted. You see that because you're alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions. Thought, mind, and your actions are both tainted, he says. Each pushing the other into further corruption in a mirror image of Colossians 1, 9 and 10. All right, so if you're there, let's look very quickly at what 9 and 10 said. He said it's a mirror image. In other words, the sinful side where he says you're alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions is the opposite of what we see in Colossians 1, 9, and 10. And here's what that says. 
For this reason also, remember this, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge, here's your mind, of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy, there's your actions, of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. He said, the Christian, the person who has become a follower of Christ, you're being filled with the knowledge of God. Your mind is being filled with that. That's why we see in Romans, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As a man thinks, so is he. Right? That's what the Word says. As a man thinks, thoughts drive actions which lead to results. So he says, that is the exact mirror image. He said, the best comment on this verse 21 here is perhaps the sequence of thought in Romans 1. So you need to turn to Romans 1. We're going to read that here in just a second. Wrong thinking leads to vice. Vice to further mental corruption so that the mind, still not totally ignorant of God's standard, finds itself applauding evil. Now, we've got to be able to see Romans 1, verses 21 through 32 to understand what it is that he's talking about. Romans 1, 21 through 32. This is what the word says there. Romans 1, 21 through 32. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. For even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The males in the same way also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind, there it is, to do what is morally wrong. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know full well God's just sentence that those who practice, there's a key word, those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. That's the mindset. That's the mindset that was causing the problem when he says that you were once alienated and hostile in your mind because of your evil actions. The two begin to work together. The evil mind led to doing the... the or, or the. The, uh, the confused and, the, and, and the, the hostile mind led to you doing evil actions, and the evil actions further corrupted your mind so that you reached a point. See, most people started out in areas when sin really begins to degrade their life. Most people start out 
where they kind of, they're kind of a little ashamed of what they're doing. They don't want to be seen out in public drunk as a skunk. They don't want to be seen out in public high as a kite. They don't, they don't want any of those things. In fact, they, don't want, they want to sneak around with their adultery. But once that they become embroiled in it and once that they get to the point where they become desensitized to it because now their mind let them do the evil action and now the evil action begins to desensitize the mind, they will now get where they will be brazen about it. They will be out in public and not only will they not worry about someone seeing it, but they will flaunt it. And he says, then they reach a point not only where they, will they flaunt it, but then they will applaud other people that flaunt their sin. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm cheating on my wife, and can't nobody, I'm out. And, and oh, I, yeah, hey, I tell you what, man, that, that actor that, man, he loved his wife. You ever seen his wife? Man, she ain't all that good looking. Because that's, you know, that's what people will say. Oh, you know, hey, I mean, can you blame him? Can you blame that guy for, for hooking up with that? Can you blame that lady for leaving? I mean, See, it starts to, and then, and then we start applauding. And now, now they just have award shows and everything else, you know, where they just, oh, uh, you know, flown all of it. Flaunt sinful things, and people stand and applaud and clap. And if anyone says, I don't know, you don't have to be a big fan of politics because, you know, God, bless, we just, I just pray for all of them. You know, it doesn't matter. I pray for them all. But, but this week alone, I saw where that people went back 15 years to 2002 and pulled up a statement that the vice president made, which I don't care what party that they're from. I wish that every vice president, and God help us, I wish every president would say what Mike Pence did back in 2002 when he, he essentially made a statement that said, look, because this is what I was taught growing up in a minister's home. This is what I was taught being trained as a minister. This is what I teach people when, in regards to even business. He said, I don't go out and have lunch alone with ladies. If it's not my wife or it's not my, you know, if, it, if it's not a daughter or something, which they've got a son. And, but he said, I, we don't, I don't do that. Because I, I, essentially, I don't want to be in a position where there would ever be a temptation to do what's wrong. And the media has come out and attacked him from 15 years ago, and said, if you got a problem with going and having lunch with a lady by yourself that you're not married to because something might happen, then the problem must be you. <laughs> God, help us. Because people that even just express being wise and being careful about their reputation and being concerned about their marriage and showing respect and honor for their spouse, and honest, people, people don't want to, today they want to applaud people saying, you don't have to do that. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You don't have to, you don't, it's not necessary for you to do that. Romans 8 verse 7 says this, For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law, for it is unable to do so. Is unable to do so. As I was reading this, it, it became clear, this is, this is why that the unbeliever has to repent, which means, in essence, to change your mind, to change your direction. You have to repent in order to receive salvation. Here's why. Because if anyone does not recognize their sin, if they don't recognize their Savior, and if they don't recognize their distance from the one because of the other, then there are no words to be spoken to create a true conversion experience. 
What am I saying? I'm saying this. This is why that I often tell people when, when I'm praying with people to receive Christ, if you will, I always say to them, there's nothing special about the combination of words that you pray for salvation. And the reason why is because that God is looking inside us. God knows our hearts. God knows our minds. And, and quite honestly... God knows whether or not you're simply having an emotional moment or whether you are truly repenting, meaning, again, that you have changed your mind and you are changing direction. I, I can't tell that. I, you know, when I see someone, they may be... I, I used to really think... Let me... I'll throw this out there. I used to really think that, man, if somebody comes to an altar, if they come to the front... And man, they are just crying, you know, cry me a river. I mean, it's just, it's just pouring. And, and you know, just to, just to be a little crude for a moment, they just snotting. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're just, they are, it's, it's coming out of them every which way, you know. Oh, man, now that person right there, buddy, they had a conversion experience. I'm thinking, that's, that's it right there, buddy, because they are... Some people are just emotional. And quite honestly, they in a moment of guilt, not repentance, sometimes just guilt. Look, I know this is wrong. And yes, the Holy Spirit is tugging at their heart. And, and so they, they sense guilt, but they don't sense repentance. They're sorry in the moment. It's kind of like when you see people get caught. You know, you go, are, are you truly sorry? Or are you sorry you got caught? You know, because I remember being a kid, two minutes before mom caught me doing something, I was not repentant. <laughs> and when she caught me, I really wasn't all that repentant. I just didn't want to get a spanking. So I was sorry, <laughs> but I really wasn't that repentant. Okay? God sees that, and that's why the mind has to change. Again, that's why Romans says you can't be conformed to this world, but you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because people will make an emotional event out of something and then turn around and go back into their life, and their mind did not change about the sin in their life. Their mind did not change. Repentance did not take place. They're not wanting to change in direction, to turn and go a different way. But God is the one who sees that. I'm simply thankful that when we truly come to Christ, that there's a difference in mind. That we're no longer hostile and alienated in our minds because of these evil actions that were going on in our lives. But then the third thing that changed was we had a difference in position. So we, we once were at odds with God, but now we're reconciled through the body of Jesus Christ and the completed work that He did on Calvary. That reconciliation had an aim, though, had a very specific aim, and it's what this verse tells us. It says that his aim was to present us holy, faultless, and blameless before God. Now, this, this is an interesting scripture because basically God is choosing to reconcile us to himself 
through His Son so that He can present us to Himself. You see that, that the oddness of this? God says, I see that you're at odds with me, so I am going to send my Son to reconcile you to me so that I, through my Son, can present you to myself so that you will be holy and that you will be faultless and that you will be blameless. Well, so I thought there has to be. So I'm digging around studying and looking at the original words and reading commentaries. And, and there's actually two separate thoughts that are carried in these three words, holy, faultless, and blameless. The words present, where he says he wants to be able to present you, present, holy, and blameless were all related to the sacrificial system. In other words, when, when in the Old Testament, when you would see them make a sacrifice in order to temporarily cover sins, to atone for those sins, they would do a sacrifice. What are some things that had to be, what are some characteristics of the sacrifice? Like the lamb or whatever. What are, what are some of the characteristics? Need to be spotless. It couldn't have blemish on it. Couldn't have any, you know, couldn't have a weird leg, you know. Couldn't, couldn't, have a, couldn't have a weird ear. Couldn't have a missing spot of hair. I mean, that's, that's the real deal, guys. I know we don't ever all think, we go, you know, it needs to be spotless. And, and it, but the reality was, it couldn't have anything wrong with it. You know, couldn't like have like a, you know, a lump on its side or something. You know, one eye that was like bugging out. I mean, you just couldn't have any of that. It had to be this as close to perfect as what they could identify it to be. And so this idea of God presenting this, it required... Let me, so the sacrifice was said had to be spotless, had to not have a blemish on it. What about the priest? Because remember, the priest would take and go into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice. You remember what they have around his leg? Had a rope tied around his leg for why? If he dies, I can drag him out. <laughs> you know? Guy goes in. Now, what would cause him to die? Sin. So if he had not confessed and cleansed and gotten stuff out and followed the, 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 you know, the chain of events that were supposed to happen to prepare himself to go into God's presence, then he could go in and, and if there was sin and all this stuff in his life, then boom, he could drop like a rock. You don't hear the bell tingling anymore, so boom, boom, let's pull him out. Can you imagine? It made me think of a line out of that movie from Facing the Giants after they do the death crawl. Can you imagine if, if somebody actually dropped and they had to pull him out, and the next guy in line go, who next? <laughs> you know, and the other guy's going, dude, this is my day off. <laughs> it's it's got to be, it's gotta be you know, number three, because I, I, I'm number two, but it's my day off, y'all. You know, who next? So sacrifice had to be blameless. The presenter had to essentially be blameless. He had, to, he had to not have sin in his life. Had all that stuff out of the way. So the one who's presenting the sacrifice and the sacrifice have to be cleansed and have to be pure. God says that I've reconciled you because I want to present you holy, faultless, blameless. And the present, he then has to be cleansed because he's the one going to do the presenting. And he already is holy. But we weren't, 
So he had to, through Jesus Christ, he had to make us holy. And remember, we just talked within the last several weeks about a scripture that says that you need to put on the new man which was created after Christ Jesus in true righteousness and holiness. <laughs> Woo, that's just good stuff. So, so the presenter has to be cleansed, and the sacrifice has to be perfect. So he needs to make sure then that you're holy and that you're blameless. You don't have any blemish. You don't have any spot. But then there's a third phrase, and it's the one in the middle of faultless. But it doesn't have to do with the sacrificial system. It has to do with the courts. It was a judicial statement. And what it meant was that no one could bring an accusation against you for wrongdoing. Not that you could be proven just to be innocent, but that it was not reasonable for anyone to even accuse you. There was no appearance of evil. There was no sign that there was something wrong. He says, this is how God wants to present you. I want to read you this from a commentary. God's purpose then is to create a holy people in Christ. This he has done in principle by dealing with sin on the cross and thus already achieving reconciliation. This he is doing in practice by refashioning our lives according to the pattern of the perfect life, that of Christ. This he will do in the future when that work is complete and the church enjoys fully that which at present it awaits in hope. Did you catch that? So in principle, he has already created a holy people. He's put everything in place for it to happen. So in principle, he's already done it because he dealt with sin on the cross. Man, this, I'm telling you, this is, this is like, like filet mignon, bacon wrapped today. I'm just telling you, this is, this is good meaty stuff right here. In principle, you are already a holy people because he dealt with your sin on the cross through the work of Jesus Christ, therefore he could reconcile. Because if the sin was not dealt with, then if there was sin still evident in us, you hang with me here for a moment, in us, we could not be reconciled to Christ because the sin would cause the problem. So that is why, again, that we say that salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ Jesus. Because it is only Christ who has that perfection and that sinless life, because we don't. So if we had to stand on our own in our righteousness, then it would be, as the word says, like filthy rags. Even our best is not good enough. But we don't stand in that. We stand, remember, we, we sing the song. We sing the song. And it's straight out of Scripture. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become His righteousness. He took our sin upon Him because he could take the sin and give us righteousness, but we could not take any righteousness and give it to him because we didn't have it. Because even what we had was like filthy, nasty rags. It, that was You say, but, but, but wait a minute now, there's some right things that we can do and all. Yeah, but when we're talking about coming into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ or being reconciled to God, we're not without flaw and error. So even the best things that we do are still tainted in ourselves alone. 
would be tainted with our imperfection. It's not that you can't do good things. It's not that you can't do you know, things that are, have tremendous positive impact. But we are flawed. But in Christ, we put on His perfection and His righteousness. And so in principle, He's already dealt with sin on the cross. In practice, He is refashioning our lives to become more and more like Christ. People get hung up about this word. I've mentioned it several times here in the last month or so. It's a word that that various churches use in different ways. But that process is sanctification. It is a process of us becoming more and more set apart in areas of our lives to be more like Christ and to follow Christ. And then he says, and and he will complete all of this in the future because that work will be complete. Because finally... That's why the Bible tells us says that this mortal will put on immortality. This corruptible will put on incorruptible. Why? Because finally we will shed everything that, that is not perfect before God and He will make us to achieve that full reconciliation, that full redemption in Christ. This present process which begins with patient Christian living ends with the resurrection itself and it will result in Christians being presented without shame or fear before God as glad subjects before their king. Mm. Thank God for a difference in position. Hmm. I wonder sometimes whether we often think back about that. That in Christ our sin was dealt with so we could be reconciled, but now there's a work taking place in us. So that we're becoming holy in the practice of our lives. And that happens in accordance with that change of position. But in wrapping up, I would be failing you if I did not then, because we've addressed the three topics. We've addressed the the three changes. But there's a warning that's actually stated in verse 23 there in Colossians. Did you see it? Verse 23, he says that he will, in in verse 22, remember he said that he's going to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. In verse 23 he says, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. The the best explanation of this again is something I read from N.T. Wright this week. This is what it says. This promise, like most, has a condition. The hope holds good if Christians hold on to it. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Paul knows that true Christian faith is the beginning of a life which, given by God, will be brought to completion by him. Philippians 1 and 6. He also knows that genuine faith is seen in patient and steadfast day-to-day Christian living, while counterfeit faith, that's what we were talking about earlier, so hard in its earliest stages to distinguish from the real thing, withers and dies. From God's point of view, genuine faith is assured of continuing to the end. From the human point of view, we discover whether faith is of the genuine sort only by patient perseverance, encouraged 
by the Christian hope. There is here almost certainly a deliberate echo of Colossians 1, 4 and 5, where he said, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the message of truth, the gospel. We've heard of your hope. If the Holy Spirit has come into a person through that experience of salvation, then that person will have this part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, the Word says, leading and guiding them into all truth. And yes, they will have a desire to worship with God's people. When I hear people say, oh yeah, I got saved, I don't have any interest in going to church. I, I, I mean, that's kind of like your foot saying, you know, yeah, I'm part of the body, but I just have no interest in actually being connected to the ankle. Or the leg, or the hip, anything else. But I would like to be part of the body. The Holy Spirit is coming to a person, then yes, you'll have a desire to worship with God's people. That doesn't mean you've got to be at church eight times a week. All right, I'll say that as a pastor. That doesn't mean you got to be at church eight times a week. You know, but, but you know, Sunday's helpful. You know, it kind of, it's only one day a week, guys. They'll desire to have worship with God's people. They'll have a desire to learn about God's Word. Some of you saw I posted earlier this week, I, I, I upgraded some of my study software, and, and, uh, and so it introduced a new Bible study, and I said, I'm going to do this. You know, it's a daily thing, and so it's right there in my software that I'm using every day, studying for messages and, and all this. And, and so I, I pulled it up, and, and, and it made this statement about it. It says, why do we think that the Word of God would be different than other books and literature as if you can understand it without actually essentially having to study it? You just, through osmosis, just... Whoosh, you just understand it. People have a desire to learn about God's Word if they truly have a conversion experience because all of a sudden they go, I need to know about this God that has done these miraculous things in my life. I need to know about this God that has saved me. I need to know what does, what does He need from me. People, people too often want to you know, just look at it, you know, what's He telling me i got to do? You know, if someone did something amazing for you, if, if you were about to fall off a cliff... And, and someone snatched you back, I can guarantee you, you'd be like, man, is there anything I can do for you? Is there something, is there a way that I can express my, I mean, I'm not trying to earn that you kept me from falling off this, but I just want to show you my appreciation for what you have done for me. They want to be with God. They want to know about God. They want to be with other people that are being with God. I have a desire to pray because they want to talk to him. Just as a house is built stick by stick, so a person's spiritual life is built. It has a foundation. It gets things framed up into it. Stuff begins to be finished. And it gets decorated. It'd be foolish if you were building a house and you, were, you got the foundation laid and then you said, hey, you know what, we need to have the uh, landscape guys come and do all the flowers and all that stuff around the foundation now because we're, we're good. I can tell you what's going to happen. All the guys, all the carpenters and everybody that's coming to build everything, they're going to trample all that stuff underfoot. But that's a lot of times what happens spiritually is, you know, we want to, man, people, people came to Christ, they got the foundation, we want them to start looking real good. 
We need to have you look good. No, man, we need to start building on them. God will take care of eventually as they get built up and things start to get finished and it'll start demonstrating its way on the outside. As we help people build up on the inside, get a firm foundation, get something solid inside of them, then God will take care of them what finally ends up on the outside. But praise God that those who have experienced reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ have found that they have a difference in time. I once was this, but now I'm this. They have a difference in mind. I used to think this way, but now I think with the mind of Christ. They have a difference in position. I used to be alienated. I used to be separated. But now I've been brought near to Him. And today, we stand determined to be faithful and to be steadfast to the gospel. Amen.